Alright students, welcome back to our very fast lecture 12 on Homer's Iliad, book 5, part 3, uh, slides 90 to 100 today. So recall, we ended our last lecture in the middle of a big battle, a big battle where we met Diomedes and Stenelus, Achaeans, and also Aeneas and Pandaros, Trojans. Aeneas and Pandaros did very poorly against Diomedes and Stenelus. Recall, Diomedes uh, put a spear through the head and mouth and chin of Pandarus, he died. And then Aeneas had a large rock thrown at him that crushed his hip. While he was sitting in agony on the ground, Sinless led away his very nice horses, which we said were like the Ferraris of the ancient world. In any case, Aphrodite tried to uh, take her son, make sure you're writing this, and make Aphrodite tried to take her son and abscond away, but she was seen by Diomedes because he could see gods at this moment because Athena made it so that he could see gods. And uh, she ends up dropping him because Diomedes pokes her in the hand. Apollo, however, comes and saves Aeneas, heals Aeneas, and Aeneas actually returns to battle in that very same battle. All that said, all of that was done to get Aphrodite off the battlefield. Now, who else do we need to get off the battlefield? Well, we can't get Apollo off. He's too strong. But there is one other Trojan god. There is a third Trojan god. It is Ares, god of war. And he picks up the slack among the moment that Aphrodite is gone and gives strength, breathes strength into the Trojans. We'll sometimes see that the gods can sort of change the mood of a battle. They seem to be able to pump up or uh, deflate uh, fighters as it were. And so in any case, Ares pumps up Sarpedon. And Sarpedon is one of our top three Trojans. You need to know Hector, you need to know Sarpedon, you need to know Aeneas. Those are the top three champions of Troy. In fact, Sarpedon is himself a prince from a place called Lycia, same place as Pandaros is from. And he has actually come for the same reason Achilles has come. He isn't, his home isn't in danger. He's not afraid for his welfare. He's come only for honor. And so he recalls to Hector a moment where Hector was apparently drinking and bragging and said, Oh, I could deal with all of these Achaeans if it were just me and my brothers. He does have a lot of brothers. He has about 49 brothers at the beginning of the Trojan War. At the end of the Trojan War, he has about, well, not even himself. There are very few brothers of Hector left by the end of this, which is a very sad thing to think about if you really, really think about it. In any case, Apollo has healed Aeneas. Sarpedon reminds Hector, he's like, why is it that it seems I'm fighting harder than you? I'm fighting for glory. But if you lose, your father dies, your mother dies, your son dies, your brothers die, and even though you might not care about Paris as much, you do have brothers that you like, uh, your civilization collapses. Your horses even get taken as slaves. It's like, shouldn't you be fighting harder than I am fighting? Don't you have more to lose? That's a big question. Pumps Hector up. He starts fighting even harder. Uh, quick profile of Sarpedon, like I was telling you. Uh, he is the king of Ikea. I think I called him Prince earlier. He has a second-in-command in Glaucus. And Glaucus actually, Glaucus and Sarpedon have sort of a sad story. When Sarpedon falls, he will ask Glaucus to defend his body, and Glaucus will cry knowing that he's not strong enough to do so. Uh, Sarpedon, uh, yes, this is probably what I should have led with. He is one of the many men who is half god, half mortal. And his godfather is no less a god than Zeus. So you would expect that on this battlefield, Sarpedon would be the most preeminent warrior given his lineage, his bloodline. And yet, that's not quite true. It is not necessarily the case that Sarpedon is a greater warrior than Hector, who has no godfather, uh, and it is certainly not the case that Sarpedon is stronger than Achilles, who has a goddess mother, 
but she's a minor goddess, Thetis. Um, and so, it, even in the ancient world, it doesn't necessarily matter who your father is. And in fact, we will see that even with a father like Zeus, you are very much still mortal if you are human. Alright, good, good, good. Remember that he's one of those top three uh, Trojans. Alright, gotta keep moving. Don't write this. This is just basic background during the fight. The Iontes, you get to see them fight. They're fighting together. That's both the Iases. Ias the Lesser shooting arrows. Ias the Greater with its giant shield knocking people over in rows. We see Odysseus and Diomedes also leading the charge. The reason why they're leading the charge is they are the preeminent warriors. They are the standout fighters. All right. Uh, Antilochus then uh, prevents... Uh, <laughs> interesting slide here. He prevents Menelaus from engaging with Aeneas because Menelaus, though a strong warrior, is not as strong as Aeneas. If Menelaus falls to Aeneas, will the Achaeans keep fighting? Hard to say. Uh, if the man who has been aggrieved for Helen dies, do they have any reason to stay there? Now, maybe you might say they might want to win Helen for themselves. Sure, but that's a different reason to fight. And so that would take some thinking on their part. In any case, you need to keep Menelaus alive to keep the people's spirit up, to keep their morale up. And so that's something that uh, is done by the son of Nestor, Antilochus. A couple things about Antilochus. Very sadly, he will die later on after the Iliad, and he'll also, but before that, he'll do something very funny when Achilleus is about to do something very nasty. And I'll remind you of that uh, around book 18 or so. In any case, I just want to say a couple things about Aias the Greater and Aias the Lesser just to distinguish them for you. Aias the Greater is an Achaean, just like Aias the Lesser. But Aias the Greater, though he is much larger in size than Aias the Lesser, is much smaller in wealth. You say, how do you know, Mr. Schmidt? And I say, well, Aias the Greater led 12 ships to Troy. Aias the Lesser led 40 ships to Troy. So he's about three times richer than is Aias the Greater. So who is truly greater? In any case, Aias the Greater's father's name is Telamon, and so sometimes he goes by Aias the Greater, sometimes he goes by Telamonian Aias. Something interesting about Telamon is he was one of the Argonauts alongside Jason, who went to find the Golden Fleece, one of the first ever mythological stories of the ancient Greek world. Um, also, Telamon is the brother of Peleus, making Aias the Greater and Achilleus first cousins. And so, they have a lot in common. Uh, he also is known to have a very large shield that they wouldn't have used at that time. It's sometimes described as a figure eight. In fact, it's so big, he doesn't need armor and can hide entirely behind it. The whole idea behind him is he's sort of like a Hercules, a Heracles figure. He's sort of like a brute, like a barbarian. And he's bigger and stronger than everybody around him, so he doesn't have to fight in the same way as them. And this, this is actually an image, sadly, of him carrying Achilleus after Achilleus dies on the battlefield. He seems to be the only one big enough to carry him around. Um, and this is a black figure face painting. Uh, there are also red figure ones I'll show you at some point. All right, Aya Celeste, a couple things about him. As I told you, much richer than Aya though also much smaller. He is himself the king of a place called Locria. His father is no longer alive, like uh, Aias the Greater's is, at least so far as we know in the context of this story. Since he is much smaller than Aias and comes from a place called Locria, he is sometimes called Locrian Aias, or Aias the Swift. Aias the Swift because he's small and fast, rather than big and strong. And so, he is an archer, but he is a brave archer. He will, at one point, when Aias, is a, Aias the Greater is essentially fighting alone with Trojans all surrounding him, he will go right next to Aias the Greater and shoot arrows to help try and defend him while Aias uses his shield for cover. 
Uh, and so this is a very brave man. So even though I told you that sometimes the arrow shooters are seen as not the most courageous individuals, sometimes a little bit cowardly, that is not true of this character. That said, Aias the Greater and Aias the Lesser will both die uh, incredible deaths where they both make terrible mistakes. Um, and I will tell you about both of those because they both actually happen after the Iliad. Uh, one during the Trojan War, which is very much terrible, and one right after the Trojan War. And uh, you will learn these stories. Alright. It should not say remarkably large and powerful fighter with Aias the Lesser. It should say nothing there. Alright, in any case, this is, uh, this is part of the uh, artistic tradition with Aias the Lesser. Actually, when the, the Achaeans are taking Troy... He goes into a temple of Athena to try and abduct one of the daughters of Priam. Her name is Cassandra. She's a very interesting character in mythology because she supposedly promised Apollo to be his wife so that Apollo would grant her the ability to see the future. But then after he gave her the, the ability to see the future, she reneged on her promise. She said, no, never mind. And so Apollo said, oh, well, I'm still a god. I can't take the gift away I gave you, but I can curse you. Even though you can see the future, no one will ever believe you. Can you imagine what a terrible gift that would be? To be able to clearly see the future for people? Like, when you do that, something terrible will happen to you. And you're like, no, that sounds foolish. It's like, oh my goodness. That's also, I would say, that's kind of like what the art of being a teacher is. In any case, since he does this unsacred, horrific act in a very sacred place, Athena becomes very angry with him. And, well, I'll tell you what happens after that. Nothing good for Is the Lesser. At that point. Alright, we have a major fight now. We just had Sarpedon introduced to us. We need to know what sort of fighter he is. Is he actually as gifted as Mr. Schmidt says? So he fights against a minor character who has also a major bloodline. He fights against a guy whose name is very hard to say for English speakers. Tle Polymos. Uh, it comes from Tlao and Polymos. Polymos means fight or battle in Greek. In fact, we have a word from that called polemic when you use fighting words against somebody. Well, Telepolemos is a son of Heracles, one of the Heracleids. So you would expect him to be rather strong, and he is strong. And he gives a speech to Sarpedon, Sarpedon does the same to him. Who's going to win? Well, in this case, unfortunately, Team Troy. They finally get a win. We've seen a couple of their champions go down, Aeneas, Pandaros, but now we have to see one of ours go down, unfortunately. Both of these men throw spears at the same time, but aim, accuracy matters, especially in this time. Telepolemus' throw hits Sarpedon in the thigh. Ow! Terrible pain! Your thigh is a giant muscle. Especially the quadricep. If a spear goes in there and you try and pull it out, you're going to pull a lot of muscle, a lot of blood, a lot of pain, a lot of nerves down there. <clears throat> but actually what's going to have to happen to Sarpedon, he does survive this, is it's going to be pushed through the back. And you can just imagine, like, the circumference of your thigh is probably, I, I don't know, like 20 inches or so, like that, that means the spear needs to be pushed down almost a foot through muscle and nerve and vein and bone. It's not a good feeling for Sarpedon. That said, Telepolemos has a slightly worse one because Sarpedon's throw hits him right in the throat and he gurgles until he dies. And so, accuracy matters. Whether you're answering questions now, whether you're throwing spears then. That said, Sarpedon pays a heavy price. He, uh, <laughs> he actually gets picked up. It's... it's it depends on how you look at this situation, whether you consider it comic or tragic. But he actually gets picked up by his friends with a spear still sticking out of his leg. And the spear is like six feet long. And dragged over to a tree. 
where he then calls out to Hector and says, Hector, Hector, defend me so I don't die ignobly under this tree. But Hector turns from him. He's got the battle fury on him. Does not help his friend out. This will not be the last time that Hector turns away from helping somebody he could. In fact, very soon, in your reading you've already seen this, uh, the Achaeans will build a ditch around their camp. A ditch with spikes in it. A ditch with spikes in it so that when chariots are led against them, the chariots and the horses and the men fall into those spikes and then get impaled on those spikes. There will be lots of people on those spikes calling out to Hector when he is assaulting the wall to turn from all of them too. And so, something to just to keep in mind to understand the full character of these characters. All right, all right. Hector then uh, leaves Sarbanon and goes on a killing streak. Hera and Athena observe this. They're like, oh my goodness, we need to put a stop to this. Uh, don't write any of this. this. is just a description of the gods. Athena then descends, and we get a description of her armor, the Aegis. The Aegis is a shield that belongs to her father, but her father gives it to her. In fact, we still use this in our language. I say, if you're under my Aegis... You're under my protection. Uh, and so the idea is you're under my shield. Um, the hours are the guardians of Olympus. The idea being that these gods are either on Olympus or in the sky. And the hours are the demarcators of time. And so they do sort of guard the space of time. Just a weird way to think about things. In any case, Hera asks Zeus whether she can send Athena against Ares. Zeus says, absolutely. Absolutely. Hera then likens herself to Stentor. And uh, in pumps up the Achaeans because they've been doing poorly. Now we have to see the last big battle of the day before you get to writing. Alright, don't write this either. Athena finds Diomedes nursing his wound. Athena says Diomedes is not as great as his father, Tidius. Whoa. <laughs> Diomedes says, but the reason I'm tending to my wound and not fighting against Ares is you said I could only fight against Aphrodite and I should listen for your next instructions. So that's why I'm sitting here waiting on you. And Athena says, okay, that's a good point. Pushes Stenilus out of his chariot. Like, actually pushes him like, get out of here, nerd. And uh, then Athena jumps in the chariot, joins uh, Diomedes, and now they're going to go fight against Ares. All right, here it is. When they first come upon Ares, a couple things. He's twirling his spear around after having just killed a man and is uh, taking his armor off, stripping his armor off. Uh, Ares is also described with three epithets that I think give you a really good idea of the sort of god he is. Manslaughtering. Manslaughter is a legal term that we have these days for killing somebody unintentionally, though that doesn't... I think murderous would be a better epithet for Ares because he does intend to kill you. He is the god of battle, after all, and that is the point of battle. Uh, technically, it's to get certain land, but usually there are people on that land and you have to take care of them. Second epithet is bloodstained. Makes perfect sense. Can you imagine just a god covered in blood? You should, because that's Ares. Red and Ares, and that's why actually our red planet is named Mars. That's the Roman name for Ares. And so the idea of blood everywhere. And stormer of strong walls. And that's that's something we don't understand. We don't understand why that's so scary. The reason that's scary is the scariest thing in the ancient world was when some people showed up with ships and weapons and stormed your walls. Because then your children, your women, and you were well, your women would be taken, often your children would be enslaved, and you would often, if you were an adult male, be killed in the defensive battle. And so when people showed up on your shores, it was usually bad news. And this is very much true, uh, even a thousand years later when it comes to the Viking times and their relations with Britain, before they were all uh, sort of integrated. In any case, Ares stabs first and misses Diomedes. And so Diomedes tries to throw his spear to stab at Ares, and Athena guides his vision so that 
The spear hits Ares right in his belly. Ares lets out an earth-shattering scream, supposedly nine to 10,000 worth of voices. In fact, when I first taught this, it was in vogue to say over 9,000. Everybody was very excited about that. Now you can tell that the times have changed. In any case, Ares goes down, and then he too retreats back to Olympus. Very successful battle for Athena. Even though the Achaeans are going to lose, the gods are not, no longer helping the Trojans on the battlefield except for Apollo. And Apollo has not been going around and pulling people off the battlefield in the same way that Aphrodite has. So this is a good day for the Achaeans in a way. Not a great day because they're not winning this battle, but things could have gotten, they could have gone worse. In any case, Ares jumps back up to Olympus. He, like his sister Aphrodite, complains to Zeus about Athena. What is with this goddess? Why is she allowing mortals to hurt us? This is a terrible thing. He's sort of like moaning like a kid. And then Olympus says, argue me not that way, you double flake, you two-faced liar. You more than all the gods are hateful to me. And the way I want you to think about this symbolically is Zeus is a god of order and justice. Or Ares is a god of battle, conflict. Sort of the god of injustice. And so they are opposites from each other, even though Ares is the true son of Zeus. It's almost like disorder comes from order and vice versa. Very yin-yang-like. And we'll talk about that when we get to Achilles' shield. All right, that's all we've got time for today. Please put everything away except for your books. We've got to write.